The New York Times asks if Jared and Ivanka are bad Jews. Rolling Stone wonders whether social justice can save astrology. And Democrats are undermining election results. So it's a fantastic Thanksgiving week. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Oh, so much to give thanks for. Our crazy political system notwithstanding. We're going to talk about all of the crazy. There's a lot of crazy over the weekend because every time I leave for the weekend, everyone tries to ruin it. So well done, everyone. But we survived. And we'll discuss all of it in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that you've got credit card bills. Okay, the fact is that if you have credit card bills, you didn't pay off that credit card debt, that stuff is racking up interest charges at a rate you do not even want to think about. But you need to think about it because if you don't, you're going to be paying that stuff off until you die. With Lending Club, however, you can consolidate your debt or pay off credit cards with one fixed monthly payment. Since 2007, Lending Club has helped millions of people regain control of their finances with affordable fixed rate personal loans. No trips to a bank. No high interest credit cards. Just go to LendingClub.com. Tell them about yourself, how much you want to borrow. Pick the terms that are right for you. And if you're approved, your loan is automatically deposited into your bank account in as little as a few days. Lending Club is the number one peer-to-peer lending platform with over $35 billion in loans issued. Go to LendingClub.com slash Ben. Check your rate in minutes. Borrow up to 40 grand. That's LendingClub.com slash Ben. Again, LendingClub.com slash Ben. All loans made by WemBank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. It's a fantastic service. Again, you don't want to be paying off credit cards until you die. And also, if you just need a swing loan because you're doing construction or something, Lending Club can help you out. Go check them out right now. LendingClub.com slash Ben. And check your rate in minutes. Bar up to 40 grand. LendingClub.com slash Ben. All righty. So we begin today with the New York Times, doing what the New York Times does, which is rip on Jews it doesn't like. And I say that advisedly. The New York Times is an awful, awful newspaper. Uh, uh, an enormous amount of what the New York Times covers with regards to the Jewish community is basically the suppositions of a bunch of Jews who don't care at all about Judaism, who don't care at all about the Jewish religion, and their religion is leftism, their religion is Obamaism, and if you cross them, then they take this as an affront to their Judaism. The latest example of an article like this is an article by Amy Chozik and Hannah Seligson over at the New York Times called, Are Jared and Ivanka Good for the Jews? Well, we can stop right there for just a second and note, there has never been an article called, Is Mike Pence Good for the Christians? There's never been an article asking whether Rashida Tlaib is good for the Muslims. Right? None of this is ever asked. It's only, are certain people good for the Jews, which is pretty parochial stuff, and you know, is, is certainly something that, that folks should not really be asking in a mainstream newspaper. But beyond that, the general tenor of the article is that because Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump are related to the president of the United States, and because they are pro-Israel, and they are pro-Jewish, this means that they are bad for the Jews. Why? Because liberal Jews don't like them. And one of my pet peeves in life is a bunch of people who have no relationship with Judaism or very little relationship with Judaism then speaking out on behalf of what Judaism is. I have to hear from a bunch of people who go to synagogue once a year and then break for lunch on Yom Kippur telling me about the nature of Judaism. I, a guy who wears a yarmulke every day of my life and prays three times a day and eats kosher and keeps Sabbath. I have to be told by a bunch of people who care more about same-sex marriage than they do about the state of Israel about Jewish priorities. That's what this New York Times article is. It's really gross. And here's what the article says. On election night in Beverly Hills, Jason Blum, the hotshot horror movie producer, was accepting an award at the Israeli Film Festival. The polls in a string of midterm contests were closing, and Mr. Blum, a vocal critic of President Trump, was talking about how much was at stake. The past two years have been hard for all of us who cherish the freedoms we enjoy as citizens of this country, Mr. Blum said. That's when the crowd of mostly Jewish producers and power brokers started to chant, we like Trump. An Israeli man stepped onto the stage to try to pull Mr. Blum away from the microphones as the crowd at the Saban Theater Steve Tisch Cinema Center cheered. As you can see from this auditorium, it's the end of civil discourse, Mr. Blum said. Thanks to our president, anti-Semitism is on the rise. Or alternatively, a bunch of Jews like President Trump because Jews who care a lot about Jewish religious practice, Jews who care a lot about the state of Israel, Jews who care about fighting Muslim leftist anti-Semitism, those are two different types of anti-Semitism, those people are not angry at President Trump, whose administration has been forceful in its condemnation of those things. As I've said before, I was a very strong critic of President Trump when it comes to his treatment of the alt-right. I remain so. But that is not the same thing as saying that anyone like Jared and Ivanka, who have militated against Trump's behavior in these situations, that those people are bad for the Jews. I don't remember these articles from the left about Rahm Emanuel, who legitimately, if anybody could be said to be bad for the Jews, it would be Rahm Emanuel. It was reported, by Rahm, it was reported that Rahm Emanuel, remember, former chief of staff to President Obama, it was reported early on in his administration that he actually went to a Jewish dinner and told Jewish donors that if they didn't pressure Israel to make concessions to the Palestinians, then he would essentially allow Iran to go nuclear. He later denied it, but the people who reported it stood by the report. I didn't remember any articles from the New York Times on this at the time. 
But this article goes on for thousands and thousands of words about how Jared and Ivanka are bad for the Jews. Not even Trump is bad for the Jews. Jared and Ivanka are bad for the Jews. Dr. Jonathan Sarna is a professor of American Jewish history at Brandeis. He says, for Jews who are deeply opposed to Donald Trump and truly believe he's an anti-Semite, it's deeply problematic he's got a Jewish son-in-law and daughter. How can that be? And the New York Times takes that on. The answer is it can be because Jordan and Ivanka are basically sellouts. They're not real Jews. The real Jews are the ones who eat locks and like bagels and read the Sunday edition of the New York Times and do the crossword puzzle. Those are, that's how we measure Jewishness. According to the New York Times, Mr. Kushner and Ms. Trump serve as senior advisors in the White House at a time when Judaism is under assault. The FBI said this week anti-Semitic attacks have increased in each of the last three years. They're unabashedly Orthodox, observing Shabbat each week, walking to an Orthodox Chabad shul near their Kalorama home in Washington, D.C., dropping their children off at a Jewish day school and hanging mezuzahs on the doors of their West Wing offices. I love when they say at a time when Judaism is under assault. Please name a time when Judaism has not been under assault. Like, I'll wait. Because it turns out Judaism has been under assault for at least several thousand years at this point. After the Pittsburgh attack, Mr. Kushner played a key role in Mr. Trump decrying the scourge of anti-Semitism. Mr. Kushner helped arrange the president's visit to the Squirrel Hill Synagogue, including inviting Ron Dermer, the Israeli ambassador, to the United States to accompany them. There in Pittsburgh, according to the New York Times, thousands marched to protest what one organizer described as the insult of Mr. Trump's visit. Never mind that those protests were organized by active opponents of President Trump who hate Trump for a variety of reasons beyond whatever he says about the alt-right. Blaming Kushner and Ivanka for all of this is just insane. But that's, of course, what the New York Times does. They even go back and interview a guy who knew Jared back when he was in high school with him, which is ridiculous. There's nothing more ridiculous than people going back and interviewing members of people's high school classes as though that sheds any real light on what they are as adults. I promise you that if you interviewed me about my high school classmates, I have a lot of nasty thing to say about my high school classmates, most of whom have turned into productive citizens. But you've got this guy named Eric Reamer, a lawyer in New York, who's on Kushner's trivia team at the Frisch School, which is an Orthodox school in New Jersey. He says, we as Jews are forced to grapple with the fact that Jared and his wife are Jewish, but Jared is participating in acts of Chilol Hashem. For folks who don't speak the Hebrew, that means desecration of God's name. Yes, Jared is engaged in desecration. And the New York Times prints this. The New York Times print this. And again, I find this incredibly ironic from the same newspaper that legitimately printed a story about four years ago in which they listed the Jewish population by district of the various representatives of the United States who did not support the Iran deal. They went through the senatorial populations to figure out which senators had the biggest Jewish constituency. And then they blamed the Jews for those senators not supporting the Iran deal. This is that newspaper. And that newspaper is now talking about what's good for the Jews. I'll tell you what's bad for the Jews. The New York Times is bad for the Jews. I'm old enough to remember when the New York Times was was describing photos showing Jewish police officers in Israel defending Jews as Jewish police officers abusing Palestinians. I'm old enough to remember when the New York Times was, was uh, was, was burying news about the Second Intifada. I'm old enough to remember when the Times published an opinion piece arguing that saying that Israel did not have a right to exist was not an anti-Semitic statement. It was in 2013. The New York Times is bad for the Jews. But this is what intersectional thinking does to you. Intersectional thinking does cross over with anti-Semitism in a pretty heavy way. I've discussed this on the program before. Folks on the left don't want to acknowledge that leftist anti-Semitism crosses over with mainstream leftist thinking in a real, material, dangerous way. There's a woman who I think is is a, a really nice person who has you know, written uh, about a variety of Jewish issues over at a Jewish newspaper called The Forward. Her name is Batya Ungar Sargan. And she and I have, have I think, a pretty good relationship. We, we talk with each other online on a fairly frequent basis. Well, she tweeted out, this is a good example of this. She tweeted out over the weekend her disappointment at the fact that Linda Sarsour, who's a longtime anti-Semite, issued a statement in support of Congresswoman-elect Ilhan Omar, who herself is an anti-Semite who supports boycott against Israel designed to destroy the Jewish state. And Batya Unger Sargon tweeted out that she didn't understand why Linda Sarsour would do this. She said, really, really, really disappointed to see this canard of dual loyalties from Linda Sarsour. Linda Sarsour said anybody who criticized Ilhan Omar was really loyal to Israel, not loyal to the United States. So it was Jews who are who Jews first, those evil Jews. And Batya Unger Sargon, who is on the left and kind of likes the Women's March, she said... I don't know if she's subtweeting my piece, but I'm pretty upset by this. What a betrayal of the intersectional ideal. Here is the thing. The intersectional ideal is in and of itself crossing over with anti-Semitism because the intersectional ideal is built on the idea that there are hierarchies of power. And these hierarchies of power decide how exactly all of life works. 
All of life is built around hierarchies of power. If it were not for these hierarchies of power, life would be utopia. But thanks to the capitalistic, freedom-based system of the West, this has created evil hierarchies of power. And the intersectional coalition are groups of people who have been victimized by these hierarchies of power. Black folks and gay folks and Hispanic folks and women and maybe Jews. The reason I say maybe Jews is because it turns out that in Western society, in free societies, Jews tend to do pretty well. Why do Jews tend to do pretty well in free societies? Well, a couple of reasons. One, Jews actually value very, very highly education. This has been true since the inception of the Jewish people. When studying Torah, it was, it was an important thing. Jews have always been overeducated as compared to the general population in the areas where they exist. And that has an impact on earnings. Beyond that, Jews also tend to be pretty vocal about politics because, because they are, are versed in politics in ways that other populations are not in some, uh, sometimes. Well, what that means is that the left believes that Jews are at the top of the intersectional hierarchy. They're people who have benefited from the hierarchy. And that means that when Jews are attacked by anti-Semites, they sort of a little bit deserve it because it depends on the situation. But if they're being attacked by somebody lower on the intersectional hierarchy, if, for example, a black pastor like Louis Farrakhan, a black, uh, a black leader like Louis Farrakhan attacks Jews, that's okay. It's not anti-Semitism. That's just intersectionality in action. It's somebody from a lower-ranking member of an intersectional hierarchy group attacking somebody on top, and that's okay. Because in intersectionality, if you rank lower on the intersectional hierarchy, if you, are, if you are a member of a group that has been more victimized, you can attack anybody from another group that is on top of you in the intersectional hierarchy. Jews are near the top, so anti-Semitism crosses over with the conspiracy theory that is, that is, that is inter, intersectionality, which is a conspiracy theory on its own, crosses over with the conspiracy theory of anti-Semitism, which suggests that Jews are in control of the levers of world power. So it is not a surprise to see the New York Times, which has routinely aided and abetted the attacks on Jews in Israel, which admitted two weeks ago that they don't report on attacks on Jews in New York City when those attacks on Jews don't come from white supremacists. They admitted that in the paper. We talked about it. That New York Times is now talking about Jared and Ivanka being the true victimizers and forwarders of anti-Semitism. Not a shock, but still particularly gross. I want to get to more on intersectionality and how it's making everybody insane in just a second. But first, let's talk about drinking. Okay, I know this all makes you want to take a drink. Right? I mean, it makes me want to take a drink. Well, if you want to take a drink and that drink should taste good, you're right, you'd like a wine that actually matches up with your palate, well, the best way to do that is by going over to Wink. Okay, the, we, we are approaching the time of the season when it's time to relax a little bit. And why not relax with a nice bottle of Wink wine? W-I-N-C. It's a great resource. It makes enjoying downtime a lot easier. Wink makes it easy to discover great wine. Why? Because they are wine experts. Select wines matched to your taste, personalized for you, shipped directly to your door, starting at just 13 bucks a bottle. There's nothing like coming home to a bottle of delicious Wink wine selected just for you. It is the best day of your month. We have a lot of folks in the office who are Wink subscribers, which is why productivity has gone down, but enjoyment has gone up. Just check out Wink's palette profile quiz, and then you answer simple questions that your average store clerk wouldn't translate into a recommendation, like how do you take your coffee? How do you feel about blueberries? And then Wink sends wines curated to your taste. The more wines you rate, the more personalized your monthly selections. It's like Netflix for wine. Go check it out right now. Discover great wine today. Go to trywink.com slash Ben. You'll get 20 bucks off your first shipment. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash Ben for $20 off. Again, trywink.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com and you get $20 off when you use that promo code Ben. Trywink.com slash Ben. All right, so intersectionality allows the left to be as anti-Semitic as it wants to be, and then claim that they are just standing for the intersectional ideal. It also allows them to defend some of the dumbest stuff on the planet in the dumbest possible way. So the, there's an article in Rolling Stone. You know, the, the Rolling Stone, obviously known for its great journalism, such as when they proclaimed that a frat was responsible for the gang rape of a woman who was lying the entire time. Rolling Stone has another great piece of journalism today. This is from Ariana Igneri. The name of the piece Meet the woman bringing social justice to astrology. I am not kidding you. This is an actual article. Because it turns out that intersectionality can explain away bad science. Very exciting stuff. Chani Nicholas doesn't care for the hulking Alex Katz painting, depicting a trio of suited white men hanging behind the front desk of the Langham Hotel in New York. It reminds her of the patriarchy, she tells me one rainy, starless night in February, as we take the elevator up to her hotel suite and sit on the couch. Or wrapping up a conversation about privilege, gender equality, and the Zodiac. When Nicholas, who's become popular on Instagram as a kind of social justice astrologer, notices a different art piece hovering behind her, this one she likes. The painting, titled Mona, portrays a woman who shares a striking resemblance to Nicholas. Dark hair with tight curls, sharp brown eyes, a strong jawline. She compares it to the painting in the lobby. 
The hotel staff must have known not to put me in a room with a bunch of weird guys on the wall, she says. I'm basically an angry feminist who just happens to be into astrology and healing. She's going a little strong on the just happens to be into. Angry feminists very often are into astrology and healing. She says, Nicholas is transforming horoscopes from generalizations about finding true love and stumbling into financial good fortune to pointed calls to action with a left-leaning social justice agenda. There's pretty good evidence that intersectionality can, it's basically like a schmear. You can kind of schmear it over anything on the bagel and it just covers it up. You take a little bit of intersectionality and you spackle the wall with it and it covers any blemish on the wall, including astrology. So now astrology is good if it backs social justice. So people who literally think that the stars are going to decide whether they meet their boyfriend today. Those people are cool so long as they are into social justice. I love this. I have to read you more of this article because it does demonstrate how the left has, has lost its mind on a variety of issues. So Nicholas, 42, is, transpo- is transforming horoscopes from generalizations into a left-leaning social justice agenda. Based in Los Angeles, she has more than 100,000 followers on Instagram and a blog with as many as 1 million monthly readers. Ooh. Okay, just to point out the numbers on that, a blog with as many as 1 million monthly readers. The Daily Wire last month had over 140 million page views. She weaves activism into the majority of her writing, appealing to a generation particularly interested in issues like racism, sexism, and gun control. Nicholas used last November's Mercury retrograde to urge her followers to contact the FCC prior to its vote on net neutrality. She wrote about the new moon in Scorpio, representing the need to heal during the initial wave of sexual assault accusations in Hollywood. She's posted about DACA and the border wall and has even been promoting an online tool called Freeform, which was started by her wife, Sonia Passi, to help victims of domestic violence understand how to pursue financial compensation. In fact, last October, Nicholas raised $40,000 for Freeform by offering her followers a chance to win one of five free astrology readings. So it's okay to be a con woman. That's totally fine. It's okay to be a complete con woman, so long as you back social justice. But don't worry, all of the Christians who believe in Jesus, those are the crazy people. All the Christians who believe that Jesus makes your life better, all the Jews who believe the Bible makes your life better, those are the crazy theocrats, not the people who think that the stars have something to say about the latest gender studies course at UCLA. Yeah, that's, that's all great. That's not even the best example of intersectional thinking making people totally insane. The best example today comes from something called Boston Review, a political and literary forum. Uh, this is a, a, a review of the movie Sorry to Bother You. And the review is by a human named Robin D.G. Kelly. Okay, this is some of my favorite stuff ever. It is so good. Okay, so the article is all about how this, how this movie is, is really great at, at destroying the patriarchy and all the rest. The, the explanation is about the director of the, of the movie, whose name is Raymond Boots Riley, who's director of Sorry to Bother You. And this is a quote. For Riley, life is not inherently absurd, Instead, its absurdities are produced by capitalism, racism, and patriarchy. The point of dialectical analysis is not to find the meaning of life, but to reveal the fundamental antagonisms in the material world. For Riley, as for Marx, only by remolding the world can we begin to resolve its philosophical contradictions. Sorry to bother you chooses revolution over the lone Camusian rebel, suggesting that our survival as a species and as a planet depends on the overthrow of capitalism, the redistribution of wealth, and the complete reordering of society based on collective needs. As long as the state continues to deploy brutal force to suppress popular opposition, revolutionary violence will remain a legitimate tactic. Okay, just want to point out, this is some crazy schnitt. Okay, this is some crazy stuff. This is some crazy stuff. Life is not inherently absurd. Instead, its absurdities are produced by capitalism, racism, and patriarchy. So if it were not for you know, people freely exchanging goods and services at a point of their choosing and at a price of their choosing, then there would be no absurdity to life. If it were not for the fact that men and women are different, there would be no absurdity to life. You get the feeling from a lot of the the intersectional coalition that screaming at the moon is one of the things that they love the most, which may be why they like astrology, apparently. But screaming at the moon is not actually a solution for your life. It's funny. You know, there's a lot of crossover between folks who listen to this show and people who are fans of Jordan Peterson. And I've been asked why before. And the reason is because an enormous amount of what we talk about here on the show is about the idea that life is not fair. Now, my daughter, who is four and a half, she, the the other day, she picked up from somewhere this phrase, not fair. It makes me crazy. And I've said to her, when she says not fair, I've said to her, 
work harder because that's the real world. The real world is in a free society, there's going to be unfairness. In a free society, not everything is distributed the way that you want it to be. In a free, in a free society, not every outcome is equal. That does not mean that you're relieved of the responsibility to be a good human being or that you have the right to violate somebody else's rights because things are not fair. In fact, to be exact, this morning, my daughter said to me, not fair. And I said to her, you know what happens to people in this house who say not fair? You know what happens? The not fair bird comes. It's a giant bird. It comes from the sky. It picks you up and it takes you to an island filled with your brother's poop. And then it drops you on that island. My daughter is smart, so she laughed. And, uh, and that was the end of not fair. So we have not done not fair. We'll see how long that lasts. But before we get to more intersectional stupidity, plus I want to get to I want to get to Democrats challenging elections and proclaiming that elections are no longer fair. Very interesting to watch as the left decides that it's very bad to challenge elections in which Democrats win. Very good to challenge elections in which Republicans win. First, let's talk about your sleep quality. So you've thought about your mattress. You've thought about your bed frame. You've thought about your futon. And but yeah, what you haven't thought about is your sheets. Okay, the reality is that the sheets that you are sleeping on are probably garbage. You probably went over to the local Bed Bath and Beyond. You picked up whatever had the highest thread count, and you didn't actually know anything about it. So you picked up what, in essence, turned out to be a plastic tarp. And now you've been sleeping on that for two years, and you're uncomfortable, and you're sweating in the night, and you don't know why. Well, the reason is because you're not using bowl and branch. You need bowl and branch to make bedding and blankets made from pure. 100% organic cotton, which means they start out super soft and they get even softer over time. You buy directly from them, so you're essentially paying wholesale prices. Luxury sheets can cost up to $1,000 in the store. Bull and Branch sheets are only a couple of hundred bucks. Everybody who tries Bull and Branch sheets loves them, which is why three U.S. presidents sleep on Bull and Branch sheets. Shipping is free. You can try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, send them back for a refund, but you're not going to want to do any of that. But it's risk-free. To get you started right now, my listeners get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bullandbranch.com, promo code BEN. That's bullandbranch.com, promo code BEN. And when you use that promo code BEN, you get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets, B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code BEN. Well, as I say, the intersectional theory allows people to ignore bad behavior. And this is the point that I was making to my daughter. Intersectional theory, the not fair theory of the world, allows people to proclaim that unfairness is a solution to you being a bad person and saying dumb things. And you not getting your way, that must all be about racism, sexism, bigotry, and homophobia. And this leads to some pretty absurd results. So, for example, there's an article in the Miami Herald. So there's a woman who's a manager, and she refused to serve five black men in this Chipotle. She asked them to prove they had the money to pay for their meals before placing their orders. And then they fired this woman. They suggested that this woman had treated the customers wrongly. The footage had been retweeted more than 52,000 times. It showed that Chipotle employees in St. Paul, Minnesota, moving on to serve a white woman without asking her to show proof of income. Chipotle said, this is not how we treat our customers. We're committed to treating everyone equally and with respect. The manager has been terminated, and we are retraining everyone at the restaurant to ensure something like this doesn't happen again. Well, then it turns out that that's not the whole story. Shock of shocks, that is not the whole story at all. Here is the updated story. Chipotle is rethinking its initial decision of firing one of its managers after a video posted Friday on Twitter showed employees refusing to serve five black men and asking them to prove they had the money to pay for their meals. Quote, our actions were based on the facts known to us immediately after the incident, said the company. We now have additional information, which needs to be investigated further. We want to do the right thing, so after further investigation, we'll retrain and rehire if the facts warrant it. What exactly changed? Well, it turns out, it turns out that the men who went in there to eat had a long, a long history on Twitter of bragging about dining and dashing, eating without paying. Okay, hours after the video went viral, Twitter users began to scour these, this guy's Twitter page, and they posted photos of some of his previous tweets. Here's what he wrote in 2015, quote, Dine and Dash is forever interesting. March 27th, 2015. Guys, we're borrowing food. That's it. And if the lady tries to stop you at the door, don't hesitate to truck the bleep out of that bitch. Another post. Guys, and there, there are a bunch of these. He said, we're not doing a Dine and Dash. We're just borrowing the food. That's all. So it turns out the manager knew these people, and the manager wanted them to pay for their food. But because of the intersectional ideal, we were supposed to ignore all of the other facts, at least until further notice. And then it turns out when the facts come out, oops, oops, oops. So instead of just asking the question beforehand, like, mate, why didn't they just ask her, right? They could have just said to the manager, why did you do that? And she would have said, oh, because these guys have been known to eat the food and leave without paying. It's just, it's, it's an amazing thing. But the assumption on the left is that if they don't get their way, then this is because someone has violated the, the intersectional ideal. Kirsten Powers is now playing this game. Kirsten used to be a much more rational human when it came to politics, no longer. Here she is on CNN claiming that white women 
are violating their own identities as white women by voting for President Trump. And they'll say, well, I'm not racist. I just voted for him because, you know, I, I, I didn't like Hillary Clinton. Uh, and I just want to say that that's not that doesn't make you not racist. It actually makes you racist. If you support somebody who does racist things, that makes you racist. So I just want to establish that. So it makes you racist not to support a white woman as a white woman. It makes you racist because, again, intersectionality. Yeah, the, the, this sort of this sort of idea that unfairness can always be justified by reference to the patriarchy and to the hierarchies of power is quite disgusting. And again, at least it's a pretty horrible result. A horrible result that was nearly that that was just averted uh, happened last week when Christopher C. J. Procopia very nearly spent the rest of his life in prison after being accused of assault by his ex girlfriend. This is according to Ash Scow over at Daily Wire. The woman who, despite obviously reporting a false crime, has still not been named or charged claimed that Procopia broke into her house, attacked her with a box cutter, slashing an X into her chest. Based on her story and the cleanly sliced X on her chest, Procopia was arrested. The 21-year-old man then told KVUE News he was confused when he was arrested in September 2017 at the lumberyard where he worked. He couldn't remember when he last spoke to the woman whom he had dated earlier in high school. I had no idea why everything was happening and I was lost. He was then taken to jail. He faced 99 years in prison. He had to pay $150,000 bond. And then it turns out that her son, the, the, the mother of the son, knew he wasn't even in town that night. He was with his mom at a Northwest Austin, Texas hotel, 65 miles where the alleged attack happened. So here's the question. Why exactly has this woman not been charged? She has not been charged as of yet. And yet we are supposed to, we are supposed to pretend that that's okay, that she has not been charged as of yet. Due process exists because we don't believe that we can simply adjudicate the results of elections or crimes, or injustices by reference to the identities of the players. This is why due process exists. This is why honesty and intellectual honesty exist. This is why we ought to not be looking at the identities of the people we disagree with. We ought to be looking at the ideas of the people we disagree with, whether we're talking about Jared and Ivanka Kushner, or whether we are talking about the, this, or whether we're talking about astrology. You know, looking at the issues and looking at the logic and looking at the reason, as opposed to looking at the identity of the player, is a better way to reach a reasonable, logical, decent conclusion than by simply assuming that we can look at people's identity and then determine the quality of their, of their speech or the quality of their logic on the basis of that identity. Okay, meanwhile, the left is continuing to push the idea that the Republicans have never won a decent election, that every Republican elections have ever won has been stolen. By the way, there's a poll out today or yesterday showing that an enormous number of Democrats think that Russia actively tampered with election ballots. Now, according to an economist YouGov poll, was the poll was done a couple of weeks ago, 67% of Democrats believe it is definitely true or probably true that Russia tampered with vote tallies in order to get Donald Trump elected. Two-thirds of Democrats believe that the Russians actively hacked the election, tampered with vote tallies. And yet we're, we're told that only President Trump is undermining our electoral institutions. Bill Nelson in Florida, he came out over the weekend. He said that he lost because of voter suppression. There is no evidence of voter suppression. No one is being stopped from going to the polls for illegal reasons. Nobody is being told that they cannot vote. Nobody who is trying to legally vote is being stopped at the polls. This is nonsense. It's just garbage. Here is Bill Nelson, though, promoting the idea that if he loses, it was because of voter suppression. We must end all forms of voter suppression make it easier for Americans to vote and honor the ideal that we are governed by the majority and not the minority rule. This is just lying garbage. And it's not just Bill Nelson, it's Stacey Abrams as well. She conceded that she lost the election the other night, but she said that she didn't legitimately lose the election. It was stolen from her, even though she lost by at last check 53,000 votes, something like that. Here in any case is Stacey Abrams. Is he the legitimate governor elect of Georgia? He is the person who won an adequate number of votes but that's to not, become the governor. Of, with, all, with all due respect, and I respect where you're coming from, and I respect the, the issues that you're raising, you're not answering the question. Do you think it I was... Am, I, no, do, I, what I not he, do... You're not using the word legitimate. Is he the legitimate governor-elect of Georgia? He is the legal governor of Georgia. Okay, he's the legal... She, she won't say he is the legitimate governor-elect. Is this dangerous? Can we acknowledge that this is dangerous stuff, that it undermines electoral integrity? when Democrats do this kind of stuff. I'm going to show you in one second how much of a lie this is, that, that Brian Kemp in Georgia stole the election. Again, the idea in, in, in Florida that Republicans stole the election is absurd. Broward County Deputy Brenda Snipes, the election official over there, she actually resigned over the weekend because she's so incompetent. She's a Democrat. 
I'm going to explain a little bit more about what's going on with these elections. Plus, President Trump had himself a weekend. We'll discuss that in just a second. First, let's talk about the watch on your wrist. Is it good looking? Does it look like this? Is it nice? Is it spare? Is it clean? Does it tell you the time? Well, if not, you should be checking out Movement because Movement watches are all about looking good while keeping it simple. They don't tell you how many steps you've taken. They don't blow up your wrist with text messages. They're not overly intrusive on life. Instead, they tell you the time and they look classy while doing it. They've sold almost 2 million watches worldwide by bringing quality designs at great prices. With the holiday season coming, gifting is very easy. With Movement's versatile line of watches, glasses, and accessories, they also make sunglasses that are really nice. They have bracelets, too, for ladies. They have all sorts of good stuff. Movement watches start at just 95 bucks. You're looking at four to 500 bucks for the same quality from traditional brands. Clean design, minimal quality products. If you need help giving the perfect gift this season, you don't know where to start, don't know where to start. The guys over at Movement, they have your back and they did all the hard work so you wouldn't have to, so you wouldn't have to by curating their favorite styles into awesome gift boxes and packages. Get 25% off today during Movement's Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com Shapiro. Again, 25% off today when you go to mvmt.com slash Shapiro. Go join the movement right now. Movement has new styles all the time on their site. It's a lot of fun. Go check it out. MVMT.com slash Shapiro. When you use that slash Shapiro again, you get 25% off today during their Black Friday Cyber Monday sale. I have a movement watch. My wife has a movement watch. My father has a movement watch. My mother has a movement watch. Like Legitimately, every member of my family has a movement watch. I have to get one for my kids when they get old enough because they really are nice. Go check them out right now. MVMT.com slash Shapiro for that special deal. All right. Also, before we go any further, you're going to have to go subscribe. When you do, you get the rest of the show live, the rest of Clavin's show live, the rest of Knowles' show live. And it is almost time for our next episode of The Conversation on Tuesday, November 20th, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Pacific. All of your questions will be answered by Daily Wire's own Michael Knowles. I have no idea why you would think that Michael Knowles has answers to any of your questions. But if you are one of these delusional people, you can pay him money to get those answers. And Alicia Krauss will be there to host it and keep Knowles in line, which means that she will have to actually physically staple gun him to the wall, which is why you should pay because, I mean, that's worth the money. This month's episode will stream live on Daily Wire's YouTube and Facebook pages. It's free for everybody to watch. Only subscribers can ask the questions. To ask questions as a subscriber, log into our website, dailywire.com, head over to the conversation page to watch the live stream. After that, just start typing into the Daily Wire chat box where Michael will answer questions as they come in for an entire hour. Again, subscribe, get your questions answered by the execrable Michael Knowles, on Tuesday, November 20th, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Pacific. Join the conversation. Also, we have all sorts of goodies that you get when you become an annual subscriber. That is $99 a year, and you get this, the leftist tiers, hot or cold tumbler. View it. Look on it with envy and wonder. It is spectacular. And you can have that with your annual subscription at $99 a year as opposed to $9.99 monthly. I know, $9.99 sounds like it's less money than $99. But $99 a year is cheaper than $9.99 monthly. Check my math. You'll find that it's true. Get all of those things and subscribe at YouTube or iTunes. Leave us a review. We really appreciate it. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So Stacey Abrams, Bill Nelson lying about these election results. Democrats across the country suggesting voter suppression has taken place, which is just nonsense, particularly when they say it's directed at the minority community. The fact is black folks in the United States have been increasing their voter share in, I believe, every election cycle. Uh, so this idea that they are they're somehow being barred from the polls in outsized numbers is just nonsense. Barack Obama won Ohio in 2008 and 2012 because black folks were overrepresented at the polls, which means that they were showing up in numbers bigger than their actual percentage of the population. Some of the folks who are telling lies like this, there's a guy named Ari Berman who tweeted out that Brian Kemp, who's the new governor-elect of Georgia, had purged 1.5 million votes and then he put 53,000 registrations on hold and that there were four and a half hour lines 214 polling places closed. Dems falsely accused of cyber crimes. Candidate overseeing own election. This election was stolen. Except that is a lie. The idea that 1.5 million votes were purged is not true. That is the number of voters who have been removed from the rolls since 2012 because some of them are dead. Many of them committed felonies. A lot of them moved. The overwhelming majority of the rest were moved because Georgia has a use it or lose it law, which was passed in 1997 by a Democratic legislature and a Democratic governor in Georgia is by AG Conservative over at Twitter, who's exactly correct. Similar laws have been upheld by the Supreme Court. It requires the rules to be updated by removing voters that have not voted for some time and don't respond to contact from the state. The reason there was a large spike in 2017 is because in 2015, state officials did not actually do what they were supposed to do. How about 53,000 registrations on hold? These registrations were labeled pending, but that occurred because there was some discrepancy between their registration and their file. That is their fault. They were not actually updating their file. 
you have to update your file when you move, for example. Four and a half hour lines. There are long lines at some polling locations because this happens on election day. Have you never been to a poll? Depends where I guess you vote. But the fact is that long lines on election day are an actual thing. And most places did have relatively short waiting times. There was one polling location in one county that had machine malfunctions, which led to the 4.5 hour wait. How about 214 polling places closed? This is a bunch of nonsense as well. Those places were consolidated with other locations to save money. Those decisions were made by local county officials. If you think Brian Kemp oversaw the shuttering of locations, that is just a lie. So all of this is not true. But Democrats continue to proclaim every time they lose an election, it's about voter suppression. And then they wonder why the country is fragmenting. You know, when Barack Obama was elected, I didn't like him. I thought he was a bad president. And I said, that, I said so many, many times. I wrote an entire book on it. Okay, but Barack Obama was legitimately elected. He was my president because he was legitimately elected. Bill Clinton was legitimately elected and was therefore my president. There are lots of senators who are legitimately elected from California. Kamala Harris is my senator. She's a terrible senator. I don't like her, but she was legitimately elected. Democrats, however, cannot say that Trump is their president. They cannot say that George W. Bush was their president. They cannot say that Brian Kemp is their governor of Georgia. They can't say that Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida or that Rick Scott is legitimately the governor of Florida. And you're talking to me about denialism on the right. You're talking to me about the right refusing to acknowledge reality. Just crazy. If you want to talk about actual real corruption, why don't we turn instead to New York City? This is a story by Greg Smith over at the New York Daily News. The city's top watchdog charged Monday that Mayor Bill de Blasio fired him in part to put the brakes on pending probes, describing the mayor as vindictive and at times unhinged in his fury at the Department of Investigation. Weird that uh, this will not receive the same national coverage that you know, President Trump and the Mueller investigation have, despite the fact there is no evidence that Trump has actually attempted to interfere with the Mueller investigation. Here you have the person running the investigation into Bill de Blasio, accusing Bill de Blasio of actively interfering in the investigation. You're not going to see this reported outside of a couple of sources. It's certainly not going to be running blanket coverage on CNN the way that it would be if it were a Republican. DOI Commissioner Mark Peters filed a letter to the city council firing back at Bill de Blasio and his stated reason for terminating Peters, which the mayor attributed to a report that found Peters had exceeded his authority in trying to fold an independent schools investigator into the Department of Investigations. On several occasions, the mayor and his most senior staff have expressed visible anger at me over certain DOI investigations. He wrote, they've requested that I not issue certain reports and when I declined to do so, they took actions to demonstrate their anger in ways that were clearly designed to be intimidating. Peters described a late night screaming phone call from the mayor and revealed that the mayor's office had tried to get him to kill a November 2017 report that revealed how then NYCHA, I think that's Housing Authority Chairwoman, Shola Alatoye, had falsely claimed that the authority was performing required lead paint inspections when she knew they were not. So he tried to kill a report suggesting that the city was not doing all it could to protect children from lead paint. Bill de Blasio, you want to talk about governmental corruption? This is governmental corruption, not Brian Kemp in Georgia, not Ron DeSantis and Rick Scott in Florida. This is what you call legitimate corruption. The mayor trying to shut down an investigation into other Democratic members of his administration because he doesn't care if bad things happen to kids because of lead paint, according to this investigator. This pressure, argues Peters, suggested a desire to, present, to prevent DOI's independence going forward. He said, I worry that the mayor's actions in this regard will cause lasting damage to DOI's independence. It will surely cause any successor to think twice before conducting the type of vital systemic investigations into agencies. Bill de Blasio, of course, immensely popular with the far left, even though he has done a garbage job as the actual mayor of New York City. Well, with the Democrats skewing radical, and there's no question that they are, and this does raise the question, why can't Republicans take advantage? With Democrats claiming that elections are illegitimate, with Democrats falling into the intersectional cycle of claiming that every loss is the result of racism and bigotry, with Democrats trying to malign people who disagree with them as members of an intersectional hierarchy victimizing other folks, why can't Republicans take advantage? One of the Republicans can't take advantage is because when the other side is making a mistake, there's a basic rule of politics. When the other side is making a mistake, don't interrupt them. When somebody's in the middle of making a mistake in politics, you let them go. You give them enough rope to hang themselves. President Trump, however, is a master at interrupting the bad news on the other side. He did an interview over the weekend. It was not good for the president. He did it with Chris Wallace on Fox News. And it was he, he made a series of headlines that allow the, the press to obscure with him bloviating the fact that they're melting, that Democrats are melting down in a variety of ways. So here's President Trump. So President Trump was talking with Chris Wallace, and he was asked why he doesn't act more moderate in terms of his rhetoric. 
I think if I was a, you know, more modified, more moderate in that sense, I don't think I would have done half of the things that I was able to get completed. Okay, that is not true. He had a Republican Congress, he had a Republican Senate. If the president had not been creating obstacles for his own Congress, that probably would have been better. And then he decided to generate more headlines. He decided he was going to, uh, he, he's appointed a new attorney general for the moment, the acting attorney general, Matt Whitaker. Well, Matt Whitaker is, it's questionable as to whether the appointment itself was legal because Whitaker was never approved by the Senate. That's an open question. But he was asked whether he would tell Whitaker to lay off Robert Mueller. And here was what President Trump had to say about that. Look, he, it's going to be up to him. Uh, I think he's very well aware politically. I think he's astute politically. He's a very smart person, uh, a very respected person. He's going to do what's right. I really believe he's going to do what's right. But you won't overrule him if he decides to curtail. I would not get involved. Okay. It, what he really should be saying there is I've seen no indicator that Matt Whitaker intends to shut down the Mueller investigation. That'd be the smart political answer. Instead, it looks like He's allowing the appointment of Whitaker to go forward so that Whitaker can do something about Mueller, even though I don't actually think that is what's happening here. The biggest headline that came out over the weekend, there were two big headlines coming out over the weekend. Both of them had to do, again, with President Trump, his sort of personality quirks, to put it in the nicest possible fashion. Uh, He attacked Admiral McRaven. So Admiral McRaven, you'll recall, William McRaven, was the guy who was in charge of the kill of Osama bin Laden. He was the Navy SEAL Admiral. Um, And McRaven is, in fact left-leaning on a number of policies. The reason that you know this is because people were talking about him for the Democratic nomination just a few months back. Right now, he's currently the head, uh, the dean, I believe, of University of Texas at Austin, or the president of University of Texas at Austin. He is retiring, however. Um, But Bill McRaven wrote a piece a few months back in which he ripped into President Trump for his lack of decorum. President Trump decided to rip back into McRaven uh, in a way that is really unnecessary. Frankly, a Navy SEAL wouldn't it have been nice if we got Osama bin Laden a lot sooner than that? Wouldn't it have been nice? You know, living, think of this, living in Pakistan, beautifully in Pakistan, and what I guess they considered a nice mansion. I don't know, I've seen nicer. But living in Pakistan, right next to the military academy, everybody in Pakistan knew he was there. And we give Pakistan $1.3 billion a year, and they don't tell him. What does that have to do with Bill McRaven exactly? Like Bill McRaven was sitting on the kill of bin Laden? In reality, it was, it was Barack Obama who sat on the kill of bin Laden over like a full 72-hour weekend, right? He, he said that he had to think about it. But McRaven, as soon as he got the order, went in and took care of business. This, of course, led McRaven to fire back. None of this is good for the president as a news cycle. He said, I admire presidents who uphold the dignity of the office because Trump said that he was a Hillary Clinton backer. He said, I did not back Hillary Clinton or anyone else. I'm a fan of President Obama and President George W. Bush, both of whom I worked for. I admire all presidents, regardless of their political party, who uphold the dignity of the office and who use that office to bring the nation together in challenging times. And uh, then he said he stood by his comments that the president's attack on the media is the greatest threat to democracy in my lifetime. Now, that, of course, is a wild overstatement. That Trump's threats, uh, attack on the media is the greatest threat to democracy in his lifetime. Come on, come on. I mean, it's just sheer nonsense. But is it good for President Trump that he feels the necessity to jump on every public relations hand grenade with both feet? Probably not. And that didn't stop him over the weekend from going off on um, Adam Schiff. So Adam Schiff um, is the congressperson out here in California who is on CNN all the time talking about Russia without a lot of evidence to support him. President Trump decided that he would go after him. He said, so funny to see little Adam Schiff and then TT. So he misspelled Schiff's name, which is S-C-H-I-F-F, S-C-H-I-T-T, talking about the fact that acting attorney general Matt Whitaker was not approved by the Senate, but not mentioning the fact that Bob Mueller, who was highly conflicted, was not approved by the Senate. Bob Mueller was appointed by members of his own Department of Justice and did not assume his position. But put that aside, is it like a good look for the president to be attacking members of Congress as Adam Bleep? Probably not. Is this going to win back the suburbs? No. Again, key rule of politics. When your opponents are making a mistake, don't interrupt them. Both sides, however, seem to be saying to the other, hold my beer. Uh, and that is that is a bad strategy for electoral politics generally. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things I like, I pledged last week that we would do a little bit of William Goldman since William Goldman passed away last week. Uh, William Goldman's best movie is The Princess Bride. Uh, and The Princess Bride is just a delight. I'm sure everyone in the audience has already seen The Princess Bride. If you have not, it is just a fantastic, clever, witty movie. Uh, the, the only problem with The Princess Bride is the score is just terrible. Like At some point, I really wish that somebody would go back and get rid of the synthesizer. 
uh, because the synthesizer is is awful. But the rest of the movie is great. Mandy Patinkin is fantastic. Andre the Giant is, is great. Carrie Yules is is terrific, uh, and uh, and of course uh, Robin Wright Penn uh, is uh, that, that's her name, correct? Uh, yes, uh, she she's terrific in the movie as well. The, the whole movie is just delightful, and of course very young Fred Savage making an appearance. Uh, here's a little bit of the of the trailer. It was a time when life didn't seem so complicated. Marriage is what brings us together today. What? 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 I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite. Wouldn't that be nice? Hmm? A courtly age of gentle conversation. I won't always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true love. Oh, no. Is this a kissing book? No. Actually, there was a lot of treachery. Errol. Okay, so the, the preview, I, I love the 80s previews where they're putting like Kenny G in the background, but the movie itself is so entertaining and so glorious, and I'm looking forward to the point where my kids are old enough to watch it. Also, of course, Wallace Shawn, the best thing in the movie, right? Doing the, the <laughs> Wallace Shawn and the Battle of Wits. Uh, inconceivable. So if you, if you haven't checked out the movie, I don't know where you've been living, like under a rock or what, but uh, it's, it's pretty spectacular. Okay. Time for a couple of things that I hate. Alrighty, so uh, this is an amazing controversy. A 66-year-old substitute teacher, is according to Law and Crime, has been told not to return to Parkway South High School after he thanked students who participated in the recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance. Interestingly, the school nickname is the Patriots. Here is the teacher, Jim Furkin, explaining the situation. PA announcer says, uh, please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. So I come, let's go. Kids get up. In this particular case, 24 kids in class, 22 got up. You know, so I say, thank you very much, all of you that participated. I appreciate that. And I'm sure all those families that lost loved ones so that we could have the freedoms that we have today would appreciate that too. And that's what I said. Superintendent Dr. Keith Marty now says the students who did not stand were humiliated and teased by the others. Are you done? Uh, Yeah, I've had enough. Okay, so... He has been invited to not return to teaching. Uh, the Parkway superintendent said Firkin had a pattern of inappropriate conduct. Uh, he said that it was worth noting that Firkin's comments caused disruption during class by praising certain students for standing. The students who made the decision not to stand were humiliated and then teased. Class environment did not cultivate an atmosphere of learning and acceptance of the views and values of others. Well, I wasn't aware that it was necessary to cultivate a view that standing for the Pledge of Allegiance was a matter of moral neutrality. I wasn't aware that, that that was a necessary thing to cultivate in a classroom, honestly. Like, I, I wouldn't want anybody bullying anybody else in a classroom, and I'm for diversity of viewpoint. But it seems to me not inappropriate for the teacher to thank people for standing to the, for the Pledge of Allegiance and pointing out that it has meaning for a lot of folks who have served our nation in the military. Like, that, that is obviously true. And if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. If, you're, if you don't want to be criticized for taking a politically, a politically volatile action, then don't take the politically volatile action. This is one of, this is one of my pet peeves. There's a bunch of people who put themselves sort of in politically volatile situations, and then they're like, oh man, how dare you? How dare you get mad when I do that? I'm seeing some of that today with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is being criticized today because there's a clip of her going around in which she defines the three branches of government as the Congress, the Senate, and the presidency, which of course are not the three branches of government. And then she tries again and says the three branches of the legislature, there are of course two, and people are mocking her for that. And folks on left, why are you attacking Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Why are you commenting on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? It's like, guys, you made her a celebrity. You decided that she was the face of your movement. And then when we comment on it, you get all mad about it. That's not how this works. And the same thing with Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. People like Linda Sarsour saying, well, they get to speak their mind. Right, they get to speak their mind. I get to say they're anti-Semites. Well, a lot of people get to say lots of things. This is a free country. This idea that you are automatically shielded from criticism when you do something that is objectively and verifiably offensive uh, is beyond me. I don't understand it at all. Uh, speaking of people who are ridiculous, Ben Rhodes, who's an ins- like I don't know why anyone takes this guy seriously. He's the former deputy national security advisor whose previous experience before joining the Obama administration was writing unpublished crappy short stories in his New York, in his Brooklyn apartment. He now says House Democrats should investigate whether the White House knew that Saudi Prince, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was responsible for the murder of Washington Post writer Jamal Khashoggi and then lied about it. And he said, why is the White House covering up for the Saudi murder of a dissident in a third country? Here is, here's Ben Rhodes. I will explain why this is so absurd. I think what's very important here, and one of the things I want to know about, is what did Trump know and when did he know it? Because the U.S. 
intelligence community, without getting into too much detail, obviously, Saudi Arabia is something that they follow very closely. And so the idea that something like this would happen without our intelligence agencies knowing something about what happened, I always thought was very unlikely. Okay, this is, this is absurd to hear from, from Ben Rhodes about this. Ben Rhodes legitimately covered up the Iranian murder of American soldiers so that he could hand them millions and millions of dollars in cash on pallets. Ben Rhodes is one of the great liars in the history of American foreign policy, and he's being held up as a champion of truth and decency. Yes, I'd like to hear more on what the American government knew about Jamal Khashoggi. But you know what I'm much more concerned about? I'm much more concerned about the forwarding of the Iranian mullahs at the expense of the entire Middle East, which is exactly what the Obama administration did with Ben Rhodes acting as the head of the Iranian PR apparatus. Okay, well, we will be back here tomorrow with all of the latest. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 